This is not necessarily a Mother's Day sermon. I sometimes do that. It depends on where I am in the study of the scriptures. If I think a break is an opportunity, we can do that. But however, this is definitely a Mother's Day message. I couldn't think of a better Mother's Day message than teaching on the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. So even though it's not a Mother's Day sermon, we're going to continue on in this important study of the armor of God without trying to break up the thought there, the train of thought. It is definitely something that can be applied to all of us, including and especially mothers. A mother who was holding her baby got out her Bible and began to read the Bible to her baby. A man sitting nearby couldn't help but notice her and said, You really don't think your baby understands what you're reading, do you? The mother smiled and said, No. But I do want the Bible to be the first thing he remembers when he does begin to understand. She was preparing her child to use the sword of the Spirit. She was already sharpening the sword. Today we're going to talk about the sword of the Spirit. We talked a little bit about it last week, but now we're going to conclude in it. Not only the sword of the Spirit, but what is it? And it says in the Scriptures, i.e., the Word of God. My favorite subject to preach on. Someone writes this about the sword of the spirit. The formidable spiritual strongholds manned by the forces of hell can be demolished only by spiritual weapons wielded by godly believers, singularly the sword of the spirit. Since only the truth of God's word can defeat satanic falsehoods. This is the true spiritual warfare. Believers are not instructed in the New Testament to assault demons or Satan, but to assault error with the truth. That is our battle. And with that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, I've always believed that your word is the most important instrument in growing a church, in preaching, sometimes preaching about it like today, but often and always preaching from it. With that power, Lord, of your word and the power of the Holy Spirit, would you use its double-edged work in our souls this morning and understand how important it is, not only in spiritual warfare, but in our everyday Christian living. And we'll thank you for all of this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turning then to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17, the latter part of verse 17, we come across the sword of the Spirit. And we spoke a little bit about the sword last week. And what we said was it was called a machaira in Greek. And machaira doesn't refer to that long sword that is used, even that Christ will used, as it says in Revelation, it will come out of his mouth, and of course he will strike the nations with the sword of his mouth. That was the long one. But this is a short sword from 6 to 18 inches that was used in close contact, hand-to-hand warfare. So I've been using this drawing of an armor on the soldier the entire time, and we zoom in on the sword. That is about the right size of this. It is a fighting sword, if you will, a machaira. There were 
in a sense, two types. There were the straight kind that they could fight with, or there was the curved kind, which would be used for hacking (laughs) or slicing the throat. There was also the one that has a double-edged sword. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, a familiar verse, says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. Now, the word sword there is the Greek word makaira. And so as we talk about this, this really does fit what Paul was thinking about spiritual warfare, because it is hand-to-hand combat. It's constantly the thoughts. It's constantly the temptations. It's constantly the trials, and we have to do battle. Now, it's interesting. I was talking with Stephen last week, and, and he mentioned something, and I had read this in a commentary, that there, there are other instruments that are not included in Paul's armor of God, like the spear. The spear was definitely something that they would have and hold along with their shield, but it's not mentioned there. Uh, I'm not 100% sure why Paul didn't include that, except that that is more of an offensive weapon. When we think of the Makaira, they're there. It's defense all the way. So I'd like to talk about this and some various aspects this morning. One of the things that I want to mention is this is not just a sword, but it's the spirit sword. And I want to talk about the importance of the Holy Spirit in the Christian's life and the importance of the Holy Spirit with the word of God. And then it's going to talk and call it the word of God. And I want to spend a little time talking about the word of God and how it does help in spiritual warfare especially in unbiblical thoughts, especially in temptations, and especially in trials. Well, let's then begin, since we've talked about the sword, let's talk about the spirit sword that is by the Holy Spirit. And you know I've said this often um, from looking at the scriptures and from looking at theology. When you think of the church, you have to think of the Holy Spirit because The church is the Holy Spirit's ministry. The Father planned it, the Son accomplished it, and the Holy Spirit applies it to believers. When you think of the Holy Spirit and you study the Holy Spirit, there's a lot to study, but you have to think of the church because that's his ministry. And if you think about, well, what in particular, and again, there are a lot of details of the Holy Spirit's ministry, but in particular, he's the author of, of scripture. He's the author of the word of God. And so you put the word of God, the Holy Spirit and the church together and now you got your sermon except for studying it and fleshing it out. That's what this is all about. This is why we meet. But it is also used in spiritual warfare. In fact, this is probably the creme de la creme instrument or weapon in spiritual warfare. You can have all of the pieces on, but if you don't have the spirit of the sword, if it's not sharp, then you can't do much and you can easily be defeated. So I'd like to talk now about the sword of the spirit or the spirit sword. What about the Holy Spirit? Well, number one is exactly what I just said. He is the author of scripture. He's the third member of the Godhead. He is deity. We, we find the Trinitarian references in the Bible that speak to all three in the same verse. And when we look at the study of the Trinity, we see that all of them are involved in their, the, the works that they do. All of them have the same attributes. We have this that's called the Word of God, the Bible. It's also called the Word of Christ in Scripture. But it specifically and emphatically is attributed to the Holy Spirit's ministry of authoring Scripture through His chosen men. 
I'd like to read a couple of things. First of all, then, the author of Scripture. The Holy Spirit spoke through the apostles and the prophets. This is what we see from Scripture. This isn't just a good idea. This is exactly what it is. So if you would turn with me just quickly to Acts chapter 28, verse 25. Acts chapter 28, verse 25. This is what Paul thought. This is what the other apostles thought. This is what the Old Testament prophets thought. And it's a verse here. It says, and when they did not agree with one another, they began leaving after Paul had spoken one parting word. The Holy Spirit rightly spoke through Isaiah the prophet to your fathers and then he quoted Isaiah chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. He said the Holy Spirit spoke through him. And so this isn't what we're talking about is you may be having Bible study in the morning, you're studying the word, you're doing your devotions, and you get an insight or a thought. Now, I believe that's by the Holy Spirit, but it's not the same thing as what we're talking here. And you can't sit down in your devotions and write things down and say, this is the word of the Lord that I just received and then turn it into a book and then put it in a devotional and deceive believers that this is how God talks to us. That is incorrect. That is not the true Jesus calling. We find out in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, whoever he was, and we we really don't know what human author, but we all say, but I know who it was. It was the Holy Spirit. How do we know that? Well, it's scripture, and he's the author of scripture. And in that scripture, it says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, and it quotes Psalm 95. Where did Psalm 95 come from? The Holy Spirit spoke through David. David said, my tongue is a ready writer, meaning the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's just his chosen men, his chosen prophets. And we have the word of God now, so we don't need people to conjure up their imagination and give us new words. We need people to understand the Bible that they have in their hands now. That's what we need And it's so sad that you see such a promotion of, you know, hearing God speak to you. And you know what, beloved, it's evangelicals who are are moving that way. Good people, good names are moving that way. You know what? Spiritual warfare right there. Getting people to move off of the word of God, the spirit of God, and now listen to what these people say, and even to listen with you into the, the, the voice within yourself that talks and says, "This is God speaking to me directly." Well, if the Holy Spirit spoke through the prophets, so that what they spoke was infallible, infallible teaching. They were fallible. They were sinners. But when the Holy Spirit, this process of inspiration, came upon them, what they spoke was infallible. Therefore, when they wrote it and wrote it down, it was infallible. And that's what we also have. The Holy Spirit wrote scripture through his chosen prophets. And of course, the verse that I want to go to is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. We say that a lot in this church, and I'm so glad. We're going to talk about memorizing scripture today. And one of the ways of memorizing scripture is to hearing it over and over. And if nothing else from coming to church, you're hearing these verses so much that it just is implanted in your brain, then I think I have done part of my job. It says, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. But men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. There it says spoke, but it would also refer to prophecy which is recorded and it it would be the inspired infallible word of God and the word for moved is the word pharaoh and means 
carried along or moved along. Again, we found an illustration of that word in the book of Acts when the wind was moving the ship along in a way that it did not want to go. Now, that's not to say that the prophets didn't want to say these things or write these things, but it was that the Holy Spirit was moving them to say and write exactly the words of God. And this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So, of course, when we talk about the sword, it's the sword of the Spirit. He's the author of Scripture. Secondly, he's the illuminator of Scripture. What does that mean? Well, he helps us believers to understand it. I praise the Lord for that. Now, this doesn't mean we, we don't have to study. This doesn't mean that we, we understand everything. But he puts two and two together for us spiritually in our minds. And I remember before I was a believer and I was moving close to that threshold, I was reading the Bible and I just didn't understand it. But I do remember coming to Christ. And I didn't understand a lot when I came to Christ. But I understood what the intent of the whole plan of God was in the scriptures. That is Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us, our sins and our placing our faith in him for his salvation. That's what it is really about in a nutshell. It's the Holy Spirit who illuminates that. You remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus and walking with those those two believers, and they didn't understand, but it says at some point he opened their minds to the scriptures. Well, that's what the Holy Spirit does. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want to read verses 9 and 10, and this is a glorious verse, but this also explains the illumination of the Holy Spirit. It says, but just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Verse 10, for to us, God revealed them through the spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So the Holy Spirit who is God searches the depths of God, the Father, and he reveals them to us. And he illuminates our minds and souls to understand these things. The Holy Spirit not only opens our mind, but he actually teaches us things. And that is, that is the joy of preaching. That my main job is to make sure that I stay out of the way of the Holy Spirit who is teaching. But I pray... And I try and I attempt to preach the word of God so that the Holy Spirit has his instrument to work in our hearts and my heart first. But in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, you don't have to turn there. It says, as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. It's talking about the Holy Spirit. And you have no need for anyone to teach you. Now, that doesn't mean you can get up right now and leave because you don't need the pastor to teach. It, it, it means that there's this illumination going on. You have an illumination going on by the Holy Spirit. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is truth and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. And you know, you, you, you know that In your mind, when you're looking at the word and you're looking at things and you're looking at the existence of God, you're looking at apologetics, you know you're right. You know it's true. Even though the world will say it's not true, say they have better arguments, you know deep down in your soul it's true because of the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not saying we don't need apologetics. I'm not saying we don't need to study the word, but I'm just saying this is why you have this deep confidence, unexplainable even. So the Holy Spirit's the illuminator of scripture. The Holy Spirit is also the applicator of scripture. He applies it. And I also appreciate this point because as I preach, I can give a few applications, I will. Maybe, maybe from my own life, or maybe as you've shared your life's experiences with me and how the 
Lord is working in your life. I can share those experiences. But I can't, as a preacher, say everybody's application in one Sunday from one sermon. Only you know your life and only the Holy Spirit knows you and he knows how to apply the word of God in your life. The Holy Spirit does apply scripture to the world in order to convict them. We talk about the convicting ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is in the world primarily. Now, you would, if a believer sins, I mean, he's convicted by the Holy Spirit as well. But John chapter 16, verses 8 and 11 says, And what he, when he comes, notice it's a he. It's speaking of the Holy Spirit. It's not an it. It's not a force. It is a person. It is a divine person. And you look at all that's said about him, his attributes, and his works, and you are convinced that he is the third person of the Trinity. And he, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And the world doesn't like that. And the world is becoming more and more more hostile to that. That's why things are getting difficult and worse. That's why there's more people that are against Christianity because we believe in sin. Because God tells us there's sin. We don't even have to say we believe in sin. They know we believe in sin and that just makes them mad because they can't do whatever they want. And so they're constantly removing sin, removing the definition of sin, removing the God who's the moral creator of the world who says it's sin and they get upset unless he's leading them to Christ. And remember that. So when you see the world hostile, it's because they're being convicted by the Holy Spirit. And that means that there's a real possibility they may come to Christ. But the Holy Spirit also applies scripture to the believer. And in John 16, 13, it says, but when he, here it is again, not it, he, who? The spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Now, I believe these verses such as these are primarily he is speaking, Jesus is speaking to his apostles. And in many cases, these verses are referring to their pre- preaching and teaching and, and writing. They're scriptures that the Holy Spirit is going to do that ministry. But there also is a mis- ministry, secondary ministry, where he does teach us. He does guide us in the truth. And so we hear something that the world says this is true. And I'm not talking about outward things. I'm talking about moral things. And we could say dogmatically either that's true or that's not true depending on the word of God. It says, for he will not speak on his his own initiative. The Holy Spirit doesn't do that. He points to Christ. But whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what is to come. Again, I believe a reference to the apostles. But he has a teaching ministry and he applies it. And what do I mean by apply it? Well, Now that you know what a principle is in the word of God, you take that principle and you look at your life and you see where it goes and how it goes, how you can apply it. Now, everyone is different. Everyone has different circumstances, different acquaintances that they know. But if it says to love one another, you know, you you may be in your place of employment and you're, you're thinking, I know exactly what that means to me. This individual that's so hard to love, I have to love that individual. And you think of all kinds of other things. I was just thinking as we were singing the the hymns this morning and the worship songs, and I want to say thank you to those who do our music ministry. I especially appreciated the music ministry today and the words and the brethren that come together. and, And it says that we love one another. We do love one another. We're not to be so judgmental. I'm not saying we ignore sin, but you know what? If all we have in our prayer book is the things that brothers have done wrong and we're just judging them the whole time, where is your room for love? That's an application of love, to love them, to try to help them grow. And so this is what the Holy Spirit, he's guiding us in the truth, not only in in teaching doctrine, but also in application. How does this apply? 
And then the fourth thing about the Holy Spirit and his ministry, what makes it the Spirit's sword is he's the defender by Scripture. He's the defender with Scripture. And I'm sure we could even say the defender of Scripture. But he's the defender by Scripture. And I'm moving back now to our context of the spiritual warfare. He is also the defender with the sword of the Spirit through the Word of God in our conflict. Now, I just want to kind of pose something here. Is it a weapon of offense or of defense? Well, the safe answer is to say both. But many and most commentators claim that the sword of the Spirit is a weapon of offense. And I don't necessarily disagree with that, and I don't necessarily have a problem with that. However, it's not as though we're talking about taking the word of God, going, finding the demon or the devil, and jabbing him with the word until he leaves. That's not what we're doing. That is an offensive move. If you remember, this whole context has been learning to stand fast. We put on the armor of God so that we stand fast, stand firm in defense against the onslaught of Satan. And I think, once again, that's what the Machaira is. I see it especially as a defensive weapon. As the thoughts come, the temptations come, and the trials come, it's a defensive weapon for close contact. That's, that's the way I see it. By the way, we think of verses such as, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And so there, you're also using the word of God, I hope, because that is the instrument. You know, why do we use the word of God in evangelism? Why do we use the word of God in edification? Because it's one thing for a man, a sinful man, a saved sinful man to tell you something from his opinion, but it's another thing for the God of the universe who created all of this, wrote his word for him to give you his divine authority, thus saith the Lord. But... Here it talks about making a defense. And then in 2 Corinthians, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. Watch this. We are destroying speculations. Those are thoughts. And every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. Those are thoughts. And we are taking... Every thought, those are thoughts, captive to the obedience of Christ. And so we have this defensive weapon that guards our thoughts, making sure that they're biblical. So we have thoughts, temptations, and trials. And there's probably a lot more that you could see the sword of the Spirit and what it does. But... I really do think this is the context in which Paul is teaching here. I mean, I mean, imagine you're, you're talking about the shield of faith and the fiery darts that try to come in there and penetrate. You're, you're blocking them with the shield of faith. And then you have these other thoughts that are there. You're defending yourself with the sword of the Spirit from these unbiblical thoughts or the temptations or the trials. So is it an offensive weapon or a defensive weapon? As I said, the, the, the easy answer is both. And I believe many men believe that the sword was used both defensively to fend off Satan's attacks and offensively to help destroy the enemy's strategies. It is the truth of Scripture, but it is the one that we need so desperately, however you want to look at it, offensive or defensive or both. It's so necessary. Why is it so necessary? Because it's, this weapon says, it, what it says about this in Ephesians 6 is that it's the sword of the spirit, the word of God. It's the word of God. 
Now, I want to talk about this for just a moment. I want to talk about the Word of God for just a moment. Now, when he uses the word, word, i.e. word of God, here in Ephesians 6, it is not the common word, logos. Logos also means word. Uh, This is different from that. Sometimes they are used synonymously, okay? So sometimes you'll, you'll look at a verse and you'll say, well, Gee, I don't think that really fits the definition that my pastor gave. Well, sometimes they're synonymous, and you have to figure that out as well. But what does krema mean? Krema is basically a saying. It's a short saying. And short could be, <laughs> could be a verse, could be a paragraph, could be a chapter, where logos among many other things, could be the the large quantity of Scripture, all of Scripture, if you will, the corpus of Scripture. Sometimes they're interchangeable, but Freiburg says it's what definitely has been stated. You're, You're focusing on what has been stated. It's the content. It's a single word or a phrase. It's an utterance. That is what rhema means. And by the way, at this point, What that means is you need to know verses. You need to know sayings of the Bible. You need to know frama when the devil attacks you with temptations and these unbiblical thoughts and trials. Now, we use the whole word of God. Unless you've you've memorized the entire word of God, then you're good to go. But if you haven't, there are things that you do need in your own life, The scriptures appeal to you and apply to you. And you need to know those sayings. Now, you could turn there every time you have a problem. But I think it's meant to be memorized so you have a sharp sword. You don't have a dull sword. Or, you know, know, we talked today about drawing pistols, quick draws, you know. We see the westerns, the quick draws. Well, you know, you had to be a quick draw with your sword. If you were going to fight, but suppose you were just taking your good old time, pulling that out, not even sharp, because you have to look at your Bible to turn the pages. Just a second, I'll be with you in a moment, and you're turning the pages. Now, I understand we don't know all of the verses that we should know, but this is what we do. I'll talk about memorizing and meditating on Scripture in just a moment. So that is the difference between rhema and logos, and I think that, that's exactly what Paul means, is to know the verses that combat what we're going through. There's a couple of uses of rhema in the New Testament, and I, I, they speak for themselves. When the Lord spoke the worlds into existence, it was his rhema. You get it? It was his rhema. It was his, it was, it was his spoken word, a word or a phrase. And it says that in Hebrews 11.3. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of the things which are visible. So the rhema of God. And then also Hebrews 1, not only did he bring it into existence by the word of God, but he upholds all things by the word of his power, by the rhema. He said it, it happened, it's so. So that gives us an idea of what rhema is compared to logos. It was, when we talk about the authoritative sayings of the prophets, it was their rhema. So I suppose in a sense, a sermon was a rhema, uh, Intricate parts of that were rhema, because you were to remember that. And in 2 Peter 3.2, it says that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets. Words there are rhema. And the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by the apostles. What's so good about rhema? Everything. (laughs) Even you receive faith. 
from rhema. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the rhema of Christ. And then here, I, I see the context because it's spiritual warfare with thoughts, temptations, and trials. Well, let's move now to that subject. Let's look at, all right, we know what the sword of the Spirit is. We know what the Word of God is, the rhema of God. How do we apply it? How do we apply it to our thinking? How do we apply it to temptations? How do we apply it to trials? And I'm sure there's many other aspects we could say we need it for in spiritual warfare. Well, the first thing that I want to say about rhema in regard to thinking is it does teach us doctrine, and it does teach us application. It's so important. You have to know application. You have to put it into practice. You know, Jesus said, if you hear my words but don't do anything about it and the trials of life come and your house is on sand and it is destroyed, there's no blessing there. But what is it? If you do what you hear, do what is said from the word, then your house is a strong foundation. That's what we're talking about. And from Rhema, we hear teaching on doctrine and application. Now, the doctrine, I would think, would come from the apostles that we, and the prophets that we just read that verse in 2 Peter 3.2. The words spoken by them. I imagine a lot of that was doctrine as well as application. But here's, a, here's one on application spoken by Jesus. If you abide in me, and my words, rhema, abides in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, let me explain that. That doesn't mean if I, if I do the church's memory plan, that when I ask God for a side-by-side or a new shotgun, it's going to be mine. In fact, it's the opposite. When you abide in Christ and his words abide in you. All of a sudden now what's most important for you are the things that you've been studying. Humility, love, the character of Christ. That's what it is. And that's what you start to pray about. And he says, when you abide in me and my words, my rhema, abide in you, whatever you wish, whatever you pray, it will be done for you. Those things that are part of my will, making you like Christ and you pray for those it will be done. So it's applied to thinking, both thinking of doctrine and thinking of application. Quickly before we, we, we move on, I, I want to say, even in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, and even verse 25, and we've gone through that again, but I'm sure ladies don't have a problem with us talking about their husband's ministries again. And by the way, ladies, uh, Father's Day is coming up. Send your comments in now uh, about, you know, what what I should preach on about your husbands. Um, Hey, maybe I'll do a series. You know, if a lot of people send it in, maybe I'll do a series on it. We should be out of Ephesians by then. All right. Ephesians, yeah, thank you. My thoughts exactly. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the rhema. Now, I think primarily when it says that he washed her, past tense, talking about salvation with the word, the word of the gospel. But I think secondarily, what is he doing to the church now? He's sanctifying her to present her to himself. And so there's this secondary meaning. And this is what I think is a husband's ministry to his wife and to his family, the ministry of the word. And so this is how you apply the rhema. This third point I'm going to spend a little time on. Scripture often talks about meditation on the word of God. Meditation. What does meditation mean? Meditation in the Hebrew means this. Hmm. It actually means a sound. 
It actually means a, uh, they talk about it being a, a cooing sound of a dove. Well, you'll, well you, you're, you know, you're not supposed to walk around imitating a dove. Um, but, but it means, hmm, you're thinking, you're thinking about it, you're meditating on it. This is God's method of applying the word to our lives. This is God's method of sharpening the sword. And mothers, as teachers of your children, teachers of with the word of God, make sure you have a sharp sword and make sure you teach your children how to have sharp, sharp swords. And of course, fathers, you are the spiritual leader and you ought to be teaching those things as well. And so it is meditation, but... I always make this argument because I know it to be true. You really can't meditate on Scripture if you don't know Scripture. And I mean know it by heart. And so we are going to talk about memorization. But here's what it says about meditation. And, And watch how you see meditation when it's referred to meditation. It's always referred to how your life changes. Meditation on the Word of God isn't just so you can get a certificate from the GBC memory plan, although you can. It is to change your life. And as elders, we felt it was important enough to make whatever uh, we could do necessary to get everybody involved in this plan. Joshua 1.8, the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. Hmm so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous and you will have success. Success comes from meditating on the word of God and putting it into practice. It's not a formula. It's not a magic formula. Putting it into practice and then there is a blessing. David wrote in that great Psalm, Psalm 119, where he says in Psalm 119, Oh, how I love your law. I thought he should have said, I love you, Lord. When you love the word, you love the Lord. When you love the Lord, you love his word. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. And I think that's reciprocal. You can say, well, I... I just have a hard time with, with meditation and, and memory. Well, and, and, and I want to love the, the, the word more. Well, then start meditating. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Your treasure is what you're doing, your activities, what you're doing with your mind and your heart. So you meditate and you will love the word. David said, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. It causes me to follow. And of course, what does that have to do with spiritual warfare? Well, we're to follow with the breastplate of righteousness. We're to follow the Lord with the belt of truth, right? All of those things are being set and put on and and girded on so that we are ready to stand against the wiles of the devil. Here's a good one. I have more insight than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. What about New Testament? Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. How? And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. With what? With what? Well, you know the answer. With the word of God. So that you may prove what the will of God is. So now you know the will of God. That which is good and acceptable and perfect and moral in every circumstance. That is That is, indeed, fighting against the devil. Well, let me talk a little bit about memorization. There's a story of a woman that had some seeds that fell out her kitchen window. 
She was also in the custom of every night when she would do dishes that she would pour her dishwater outside that very same window every night. After a time, she discovered that beautiful flowers were starting to grow right there below the kitchen window. This is similar to memorizing and meditating and mothers having your children do the same. At some point, you will discover the beautiful image of Christ that is growing in them. Memorizing and meditating is sharpening your sword. Everybody here, every guy here probably has a knife on him. And there are some women that have knives on them too. I am quite impressed. I remember, hope that, hope you don't mind, but the first time that the, the Brants uh, came to evening service and I, I met them, somebody had told me that they had, they had some knives. And so I walked over to the girls. I said, hey, so are you guys interested in knives? I mean, what guy isn't? And, and they said, yeah. I said, can I see them? And it, it was like one of those old westerns when you come into town and he says, well, you take out your weapons and they're pulling them out of one pocket and then they're pulling them out. And, you know, and then there was this whole armory on the table and I was loving it. Well, you got to have knives sharp. And I'll bet, I'll bet most, if not all guys here, have at least one sharpening tool of some kind, even if it's a little plastic one, plastic one with the ceramic. But... Many of us are OCD and have all kinds of sharpeners in our, some of them run by motors, some of them run by electric, right? Guys, come on, help me out here, right? And you know what? The truth of the matter is when it comes to knives, uh, a lot of times women will want their knives sharpened for the kitchen to do their work. Well, that's what we have. And, and I know we could say, well, I got the gist of the scripture. Well, having the gist of the scripture is like saying, well, my sword is, my knife is sharp enough. I don't really need to sharpen it. Do you know that a dull knife is more dangerous than a sharp knife because you have to put more pressure? I, I can show you my stitches when I was 10 years old when I cut my finger. Shared that last week. Well, how do we memorize then? How do we sharpen? And by the way, I don't care, hands down, anyone can memorize. Anyone, everyone does memorize. Everyone probably knows their own phone number. Now, there is a caveat there. We're in the age of technology. You want to know how wonderful technology is? We don't know our own phone numbers anymore. We have to pull out our phone and go, oh, I never call myself, so here, let me tell you. And, and, and it's getting more and more that way all the time. But we do know phone numbers. There are phone numbers that we do. I bet you all know the emergency phone number right now. Okay, well, there you go. Three words of a scripture verse you could do. We know sports scores. We know politics statistics. We know names of sports figures. We know names of people. Now, it may take us a while, and the older we get, the slower we get, but we'll get it. What about facts? You know, if you could memorize, you couldn't have a conversation with anybody because you didn't know what to talk about. You couldn't remember anything. So we all, you know, and usually our conversations are about what we heard recently in the news. Well, guess what? You remembered that. So I do believe all of us can memorize. I, 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 do, I do think some have a harder time with it than others, but that's all right. I do also believe it is like lifting weights. The more you do it, the stronger you get, and the better you get at it. I do. In fact, I know that's true. How do you memorize them? Well, there's all kinds of ways, and um, I'm all. I'm all. I probably looked at every type of style of the way to memorize that you could possibly think of. I think it boils down to, and you're going to hate this. I think it boils down to. And this is what John Ward used to say. It boils down to rote memory, saying it, hearing it over and over and over and over again. So we play these tricks of ways to say it over and over, whether we write it out. Some people write it out. My wife writes it out. Fine. That works for you. Do it that way. Um, I, I used to uh, record it on a recording and then play it back, and that's how I would memorize. Um, 
You could write it down and post it on your mirror or your refrigerator. And just by seeing it, it doesn't have to be fast. It doesn't have to be fast, but put it there. Put it there for a couple of months and then let me know if that worked. If you're looking at it, every time you open up the refrigerator door, I think that's going to work. I was talking to a brother yesterday, and uh, it's amazing the topic of memorizing scripture came up. And he shared with me, he said, you know, I, I learned the scriptures, or I know the scriptures that have meant so much to me going through trials. By the way, get it? Spiritual warfare, thoughts, trials, temptations. And, and he said, I love Psalm 34. When I was going through the most difficult time of my life, Psalm 34 ministered to me, and I memorized it. And I could tell you to this day what it is. I can't tell you what Psalm 35 is, but I can tell you what Psalm 34 is. So, so it's the idea of your interaction and participation. And I think that's one of the areas we ought to memorize areas of need. What do I need in my life? If you're not sure, ask your wife. What do I need in my life? Do I need more love? Do I need more humility? Do I need more capacity? I better stop right there, right? You need all of those. Well, okay, my suggestion is start one at a time. So this will help you memorize it. You know, uh, I've I've recently, I've I've, uh, been adopting, turning verses into pictures and I can remember the pictures, and then it helps me remember the verse. So I've been doing that for a while, and for me, I think it works. And here's an example. Our mind does work in pictures better than words, unless we're taking a picture of the words, okay? But you say, are you sure? Yeah. Think of names. Think of people's names. How many times have you heard, how many times have you said, I can remember their face, but I can't remember their name. Boom, you remember the picture. And so that's just one other way to get you to do rote memory. And of course, review, review, review. But it's, it's whatever it takes, whatever way you want to do it. You're, the, the goal is to meditate on it. Don't, don't just get it memorized and say it and then forget about it. You want to, you want to apply it to your life. You, you want to add it to your life. This is your sword. You have to put on this piece of armor. You have to carry your scabbard and sword. But you don't want a dull sword. You're not going to be able to do much. This is the way that we apply it with thoughts. Well, let's move on to the next area. Having said that as a basis, how about Rhema, the word of God applied to temptation? And this is what was read this morning. Turning your Bibles to Matthew Chapter 4, 1 through 11. Now, this is an amazing chapter, all uh, section all the way around. But if you're doing a study on how to overcome temptation, this is perfect. But not only that, but if you're doing a study on the sword of the Spirit in Ephesians 6, uh, 6 verse 17, and you want to look at the word chrema, This tells you what rhema is. So quickly, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter, the tempter, the devil, in spiritual warfare, came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. Now watch what happens in verse 4. But he answered and said, it is written. Every time he is tempted, he responds with, it is written. This is how you overcome temptations. If 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 you're trying to do battle on your own and with your own wits against the devil, he is just a created being, but he's a, a more powerful and more has more knowledge of a created being than we do, even though he's evil. And so if the Son of God used Scripture, we should too. It is written. It is written. And then notice what he says. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Guess what 
the Greek word is for word there, prema. And, and, and you say, well, what does that mean? Exactly what Jesus is doing. He's taking a saying from Scripture, and he's doing battle with the temptation. Now, it's not any Scripture. It's not a magical formula. It's a specific Scripture for a specific area, which means you need to know. And by the way, I don't think Jesus, uh, I don't think Jesus had a handout of what the, of what the exam was going to be that day. Now, there's three, there's three verses you need to know, Jesus, so Jesus went home and memorized them so he could answer the devil. No, he probably had the whole book of Deuteronomy memorized. He probably had the Pentateuch memorized, first five books. They have that much today, Jewish boys in their training. He probably knew it and, and memorized the entire Old Testament. Probably. Now, he was hungry. What was this temptation about? This temptation was about the flesh. It was about him being hungry. It was about sustenance. And coming to, to Jesus, the, the devil said, well, here's the first area I'll tempt him. And you remember not too long ago, we did look at 1 John and the areas of the world and of temptation is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we assigned one to each one of these. That's a different subject for a different sermon. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Why is it specific? Because it recalled the Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years eating manna. And it was there that God said, man shall not live by bread alone. Yeah, you, 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 food is important, right? It is. But you want to know what's even more important? The spiritual food. True sustenance. True Nutrition, spiritually speaking, is the spiritual sustenance that comes from the word of God. And so this will strengthen you and prepare you for temptations. Well, what about the next one? Well, the next one is a temptation of status. So the first one was a temptation.